1: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
2: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And this is part two of our preview, Lakers versus Nuggets, Western Conference Finals. Please listen to part one. As yesterday's episode, we did a little bit of a self scout on the Lakers, talking about their rotations and how I feel at least a few things have kind of locked into place. We'll see how that ends up going. But I think the headline for this series, Mike, last series, LeBron versus Steph, right? A classic NBA battle. There's the talk of the NBA from its very beginning has always been Russell versus Chamberlain, right? Even before that, Mike versus Shays type of thing, right? Kareem versus Nate Thurman, even guys that aren't Mount Rushmore guys, but are all-time greats, right? And it's that sort of this guy versus that guy. Anthony Davis versus Nikola Jokic, both guys in their prime, is an all-time great, man. I remember them Shaq versus David Robinson, Shaq versus Akeem Olajuwon type of matchups. This is one of those to me, Mike. So I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that, man, an all-time great big man matchup.
3: Yeah, for sure. The Lakers did to Jokic in the nineteen twenty uh, conference finals. You would be surprised if you just went back and like looked at his stats relative to what they are now. Um, they really limited him, and it wasn't just AD. Like it was Dwight Howard uh, ended up starting later in the series. Um, it was a little bit of McGee early on, but uh, it was it really was AD um, as the primary guy and LeBron. You know that's the other part of this too. Like in LeBron a couple of years ago when when he had you know that much left. Uh, in him, which we've now seen for at least a few games of the series. But so here are Jokic's averages. That series, 21.8 points on 53% from the field, 7.2 rebounds, 5.0 assists and 2.6 turnovers. Wow! Uh, Jokic's averages in the first two rounds, this playoff, uh, this playoff series, actually, I'll just, I'll just give you against Phoenix, 35 points, 13.2 rebounds, 10 assists and four turnovers on 60% from the field. So, Jokic has gotten a lot better. Um, He just has. He's stronger. He's more aggressive. He's more determined. um, He is going for the jugular all the time. And that is that is the primary concern, obviously, uh, in this series. Now, even with Anthony Davis, you know, you don't have somebody behind Davis like Dwight that can come in. And if something goes awry, you know, LeBron might be the second best defensive player. Um, That can that can deal with Jokic and you know we saw even like early in the Memphis series we saw Jaron Jackson Jr. back in the Bron in a little bit that I I don't think that was going to keep happening but so that is the sort of the primary level of concern uh, for me is that Jokic is at a different level now kind of to speak to where he fits in if I can just diverge for a second here um, into like how Denver fits into where they're playing right now versus the regular season Regular season, Denver was not that great, especially their close. Like they had a net rating of 3.3, um, they which was number six in the league. They really slipped late. It seemed like once they secured the number one seed, um, they Jokic specifically, but essentially just stopped playing defense. They're like, all right, just like, let's just get to the postseason. And I get that. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen Lakers teams do that. So I'm, they're better. I guess what I'm saying is they're a little bit better than that net rating. And they also were playing their bench at least a little bit more and their bench is awful. Yeah. And just just beyond, especially in the big man position. So now in the postseason, their net rating is like plus eight. And guess what? Well, they're, they're not playing their bad players in it, but it hasn't hurt them yet because nobody is Phoenix and Minnesota have not been able to expose that. So it's these two different things going on Darius with Denver and um, I, Pete, feel free to follow up if you want me to get back into the 80 specific with Jokic, but like they're, they're better than their regular season, uh, I think, in in terms of what their upside is. But they're also vulnerable uh, in some ways that a number one seed sometimes isn't, especially when they have a player at Jokic's offensive level. And this goes back to one of my other theories that I, I'm not alone in. But when's the last time an NBA team actually won an NBA title with a center who is not a plus defensive player? Um, and that could be a role player. Mm-hmm. But he's out there starting defensively or any of the centers that were stars that won titles could all at minimum protect the rim when they needed to. Um, and that's like, you know, Shaq is a great example of that, right? You, so I that, that has not happened. Jokic might be the one because of his offensive dominance that could break the chain, but I sort of need to see it first. And that's where my Denver skepticism has has been all year. thought they were going to be the one seed, but thought at some point they were going to lose in the postseason. And, you know, this series here is going to be a pretty good test for it.
4: Yeah, the idea of the Clash of the Titans, Pete, and the, like, AD versus Jokic and two bigs in their prime, this is especially the early part of the, the history of the game. Like, even before, like, some of those matchups that you were mentioning, it's just like it was Russell versus Pettit even, yeah. like – Right. And it's just like before that, it was Mikan and whoever else was trying to like thwart George Mikan. Right. Like the big man has always been the center of the NBA's universe. And it wasn't until um, two guys named Magic and Larry and then a guy named Michael Jordan that really changed the trajectory of the league through the artistry, really, of like perimeter ba- base play, even if in, there in were the great. Lines,
2: right? Yeah. Yes.
4: And even if there were great perimeter players before that, like I'd be like we often overlooked guys like Elgin Baylor and Dr. J and guys like that, who mm-hmm. were the whose evolutionary footprints are like all over today's league as well. Very right. Watching. Yes. The logo as well. But the idea of these big guys battling is just like, it, like I'm classic NBA speaking my language here. Hell yeah. Right. Like, like I love a great big man and it's one of the reasons why I, I, Maybe don't have as much skepticism around the Nuggets that, Mike, you were mentioning there. Like, Denver's the best team the Lakers have faced this postseason by a fair amount. Agreed. They're one of the best teams in the league. Jokic is just a huge problem. And I love that AD is going to challenge Jokic in ways on both ends of the court, I think. And and we'll get into this a little bit more because I think that this is a series, again, where as much as we talk about AD's... Defense. His offense is going to be way more needed in this series than what it's been in the two previous ones. Um, but Jokic Pete, he is one of the truly great players because when you think of great players, you think of like that they are both floor and ceiling razors. Yes, there's a certain baseline level of play that you're going to get from his team because he's he's on it. And when he elevates his game, he brings everyone else with him. He's not out there alone. And Magic Johnson was like this. Michael Jordan was like this. Like Kobe Bryant was like this. Tim Duncan, Kareem and on and on and on. But it's just like these are the guys where it's like their elevator goes yep. to the penthouse. There's only few guys whose key card has access to. To that sort of state. And, and, and so I do want to center it back a little bit on Jokic and not only AD, who I think is going to be super important, but LeBron. Because yep. LeBron and A.D. are going to tag team on Jokic in very specific ways, I think. And that's the pathway I think toward the Lakers win this series. It's it's that, well, you've got one of these guys, and we have two of them. And your guy's squarely in his prime, squarely has won two of the past three MVPs and finished second or third in this most recent vote. LeBron is not going to win a league MVP again, and AD may never will, right? And based off of how voters respect his game, he may not even be an all-star again, ever again, who knows. But you have two of these guys, former number one picks, who are elite. And they are elite at attacking in ways that are going to test Jokic's metal defensively. I think Jokic's metal offensively. He's going to test the Lakers. Oh yeah. Right. So talk to me a little bit more about like sussing out that idea about the two bigs, but also AD as a partner in tandem as a big, as we were talking about the last pod because of some of these solo
2: or no big lineups that LeBron is going to play in too. Absolutely. And and LeBron's defense is going to be a huge part of this series precisely because Jokic is an all-time great right KD was came out of that series saying that definitively right and that's one of the things i think is really important to look at the at this series through that lens is that that could be very problematic for the lakers in that it's very rare that Anthony Davis in a one-on-one type of defensive matchup might not have the advantage, like might need a little bit of help. Historically, the types of players that AD has struggled with the most have been the power fives, right? Like the guys that can physically body him a bit uh, on the offensive glass, for example, when, when AD is on the defensive glass, where he's been so dominant and we are so reliant upon that. And that's part of where I get scared on this, Mike, right? Is that idea that if Denver's going to beat us, I think the their offensive rebounding is going to be a huge factor. And part of that is because Jokic is a monster at that, that kind of meets our monster and is actually going to beat our monster sometimes. Now, I think that ultimately... AD is going to get some wins too, and that he's going to have enough help from a guy like LeBron and from other players to where we can kind of contain that. But that to me is one of a rare entry point for an opponent is that they may go right at AD trying to use Jokic's physicality to really punish AD around the rim.
3: Yeah, I think this is, so the physical battle is is one thing. And the physical battle, and that's where I started by saying Jokic is stronger, he's more aggressive, he's more assertive, mm-hmm. he didn't play bully ball much. Uh, and, and I don't think that he thought that he could. Now he knows that he can, and I think that that's got to be the way that he's got he's to think about approaching AD.
2: Well, we had Dwight as well, right? Like, the personnel is different. We had our own grizzly bear ready to to absorb a lot of that, and then AD's the second biggest guy, and LeBron's the third biggest guy on the floor.
3: But I don't, I just think in general, he didn't quite realize at that point because he was still, you know, Jokic, Jokic did not come up as like, like Shaq where he came in the league as the number one pick and he was the guy and Hey, go dominate. Like he had to, you know, he had to kind of inch along, um, up until like where, Whoa, you saw these crazy displays of skills, but then he was just so awful defensively and he was in worse shape and he didn't necessarily trust his own. Dominance and, and so he is really and I think that the Lakers drove him to that in part in that series because mm-hmm. like they kicked his ass. So now to me, though, this is where that's all the physical. The mental part of this series to me is so important in that AD and LeBron and uh, even even the guards like the Lakers have to attack Jokic. Like Hell they yeah. cannot just concede and say, hey, you come at you come at AD and, and like you're you're the man like they have to alpha him, uh, I think. And and that can be in a number of ways. That can be by by having by targeting him defensively. It can be by LeBron at a certain point of the series doing what he did to Steph and just nope, switch, get get this guy over on me. Oh, like even if it comes at the expense of of uh, some of the more cohesive offense that they want to run. And I think that they have to if he's defending Anthony Davis, they have to give Davis the ball uh, more and actually let like make Jokic engage because that is going. I don't care how aggressive you are. Um, he should not be able to get a free pass on defense and he should not have enough energy to do both for a full series mm-hmm. against the Lakers and that to me is where like he might have a game or two where he puts you right under the rim and he completely dominates but the, the Lakers can't get discouraged and allow that to continue Amen. you know they have to break him mentally um and and not and just let him know hey we're we're coming after you this whole series this is not you're not going to be the one that just puts us under the rim
4: mike and this is where Testing Jokic's ability to impact the game on both sides of the court is going to be super important. Now, Jokic has partners in crime when it comes to this, particularly Aaron Gordon. Mm -hmm. And Gordon, and I think Brown matters here too, Bruce Brown especially, Um, and KCP as well, right? So the KCP, Brown, and Gordon group surrounding Jokic, that's probably the best five group Mm -hmm. when you add Murray to that. Like they've got enough defense against most teams. The Lakers are going to test that, though, because someone's going to need to guard LeBron and someone's going to need to guard Davis. Mm. And Jokic has to take one of those responsibilities, particularly in closing lineups where the Lakers are going to have another offensive player on the court. And Jokic isn't the type of big man that you can actually hide on someone else because Denver doesn't have enough front court players to compensate for that right and so at least with porter jr porter jr is 610 he may not be like the
3: best defensive player but being 610 helps in so many ways it's just like quick note on that darius early it's been a while since we've endeavored what was it january or something uh yes oh
2: we have no games with this new squad we played them four times none of them with this new group
3: so i remember specifically somebody asking malone and I'm not going to get into the whole Mike Michael thing Uh, as a, as a Michael who doesn't mind being called Mike and I go by Michael. (laughs) I won't get into all that. He he can be a little snippy in press conferences. You'll you'll, you will hear me complain about this uh, in the next couple of weeks, by the way, just just prepping you Well, especially going from Steve Kerr, who's like the greatest in that conference (laughs) and Darwin, who's great to now go to Malone, who, Likes to like flex on reporters. Anyway, somebody asked him about their defense and about Porter, and he and he very quickly snapped and was like, "Well, actually, if you check it, like our defense is better when Michael Porter Jr. is in the game." Um, so there, the there are. It's like it's this weird thing with Porter Jr. where you watch the game and you can see the mistakes that he makes, and, and but to, as as Darius was just explaining. Just his length and kind of the, uh, it, yeah. it ends up being more of a net positive than you might think on that end sometimes. So
2: Michael Porter Jr. is bad on defense It's too reductive of a statement, right? I, but part of the reason why I want Dennis in the starting lineup with the caveat that this this definitely asks LeBron and AD to do more of the dirty work, hard you know role player things that maybe you don't want them doing <laughs> as as much. And this was your uh, death lineup point in, in yesterday's pod D. Um, so I get that. Right. But my point would be like, well, is he defending a lot of ball screens? Like there are th- certain things that d is very good at defensively. There are other positions where it's like, he's going to be a lot less helpful in that situation. And I think it's more about that uh, D in a playoff series. Can you get the opponent to kind of Bend in ways that they don't want to bend a guy that to guard a position or an action that they're not comfortable defending. And I think the Lakers have the kind of personnel that that can do that. And so that said, though, that that athletic size and the way that a guy like Aaron Gordon really helps with that. I think it's going to be a great matchup in this series. No, totally. And so let's
4: stick on Gordon for a second and this idea now of targeting matchups. like I think that we've hit a lot on the AD and Jokic stuff. I'm very interested in seeing what that looks like with this version of Anthony Davis versus the one like pre-trade deadline where Davis was still great, but the load he was carrying on both sides of the court was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. In keeping with this idea of Denver's the best team, that the Lakers have faced.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: Gordon is the best defender. LeBron is faced these playoffs as well. I think Gordon brings the best elements of both Dylan Brooks and Andrew Wiggins in his own way. He is strong. He is stout, but he is big and he's athletic and he's long. In these matchups where LeBron has to go up against a player of Gordon's capacity And we know that LeBron is going to pick and choose is like a little bit too pejorative. To me, he reads LeBron reads the game so well, right? He's not just going to all out be like, okay, well, I have to win my matchup with Aaron Gordon. I'm going to have to attack Aaron Gordon, attack Aaron Gordon. I'm going to try to post him up or I'm going to try to beat him off of the dribble. LeBron will do that on certain possessions, because he knows that that's going to be viable for him, but he's not going to do that every single possession. That's a waste Mm -hmm. for him, right? And so how do you see LeBron navigating this specific matchup against Gordon? And how do you see the Lakers potentially even trying to get Gordon off of LeBron in certain possessions to try to get LeBron going? Because again, this is a battle of front courts, I think, and LeBron and AD are Gonna be the way, as you've always said that it will be.
3: Well, this is the beauty about LeBron, though, to me. Still, in this at this time, there isn't anybody that can actually guard him uh, because he'll just figure out something. else. He'll call somebody else up for a screen, or he'll let you know Austin and D'Lo initiate against their weaker defenders. Whether it's Murray or if MPJ gets pulled up or whatever it is, and then he'll pull his way to a couple transition hoops, you know, and then he'll pick his spots when uh, Gordon gets cross matched. Like so, I. I just think that LeBron at this age uh, is is not doing what he did some more of in the regular season, which is just kind of take a guy out and actually go at a matchup like that. Uh, I, I think that he can divert it in different ways. And to me, this is also – this is part of, I think, the larger part of what I like about the matchup. So if they're going to deploy Gordon, going to deploy Gordon on LeBron, well, then that that just leaves defensive weaknesses in places to attack in other places. But if you – this is where I can't remember if it was earlier this pod or last pod now at this point, uh, where if you do defend him with like Michael Porter jr. And then you have to try, you try to put Anthony uh, Gordon over onto Anthony Davis. Well, then he can increase his attack level yep. and he can increase how much he runs screen roll. This is the, this is the variance now that the Lakers have in their offense that, by the way, they didn't even really have in the 1920 year um, when they won the title, but they didn't need to because LeBron was three years younger and LeBron could always just, he could always just handle that. And now I don't know that you would want him to handle it to the extent against Aaron Gordon, but they don't need him to. Yes. And and that's where we're at, I think.
2: And so that exactly that point right there, Mike, you can if you have enough talent to do it, you got to have the guys. Right. But even Austin and D'Lo, I think this is a big series for them. In particular, there's going to be a lot of opportunity if you've got Aaron Gordon on LeBron make him a weak side defender, neutralize him, right? The same thing can be done with KCP, who's their their best, especially in the starting group, perimeter guy, their chaser, their point of attack guy, is you don't necessarily have to attack there. You want to attack Murray and MPJ and Jokic and get them in as many actions and have KCP and Gordon. It doesn't make them useless and and gordon as a low man and a help rim protector is going to be super important in this series they like to put Jokic up higher right and so that i'm really glad you brought up and zeroed in on gordon d because he's a wonderful defensive player that has both interior and perimeter utility and so let's take a break here we've we've gone a little long come back and continue the conversation yeah Gordon is their chess piece he's their uh, of the chess pieces he's their queen defensively that one that can move move the furthest in the most different directions that has the broadest versatility but i think that the lakers have the offensive talent to not Like, you don't have to go through the hardest route. And on that 2020 team, for example, LeBron was drawing the toughest matchups and still had to break that down because you weren't going to give the ball to Danny Green or KCP and run ball screens. But Austin and D'Lo, hell yeah. And so I think that to Mike's point, like, you don't really have to attack where they are at their strongest. This is what
4: LeBron did in the latter half of the Warrior Series. He, He recognized, so starting in game four, Lonnie Walker had his huge fourth quarter in part because LeBron recognized that Steph Curry was guarding Lonnie Walker. And that's the place where the Lakers wanted to attack. Yep. It was this idea of, well, you're going to try to kill us on the other end, Steph Curry. Well, you're going to have to work and we're going to put you in all these screening actions. We're going to run ghost screens. We're going to run ball screens where LeBron, I'm speaking from LeBron's perspective, where I'm the screener now. And I'm coming to screen you, and now Lonnie Walker is going to come off of these screens. And when, by the time we got to game six, it was just like, okay, well, Jordan Poole's in the game. Well, then, guess what? Who's Poole guarding? Oh, he's guarding Austin Reeves. Mm -hmm. Oh, Steph Curry is in the game? Okay, well, who's Steph guarding? Oh, well, he's guarding D'Lo on this possession. Okay, well, guess Guess where we're going. Right? And this is where the diversity of the Lakers guards... And the fact that they all are, and this is one of the beauties of that three garden lineup that we discussed in the beginning part of yesterday's pod is that, not only are they all pick and roll players, Pete, but they're all both on and off ball players. Now, Dennis is the most limited as an off ball player, but he is definitely comfortable being parked in the corner. Yep.
2: If you leave him wide that open, corner three, if you give Dennis time to shoot, he's a way better shooter. It's more that he's got this like slow low jumper and he's small. So the closeouts get there before and make him uncomfortable. But you give him the Jared Vanderbilt type of shots, he's going to knock those down. Yes. And so,
4: and then Austin and D'Lo are both like, they can both be dynamic on and off ball players. They're not superstars, whatever, right? But you don't have to be. All you have to do is make the smart play in front of you. And both of those guys are more than capable of doing that. The entryway to good offense, the Lakers are going to need to establish early that they're going to pick at the scab of the point of least resistance. Mm-hmm. They are not going to be macho and be like, oh, mano mono. They can certainly go to AD more to attack Jokic. And they can certainly run ball screen actions.
3: You're not going to get any protests on this podcast of uh, giving AD more shots and touches.
4: And also, though, the thing is, though, Mike, is that an interesting aspect of this is that the Lakers are such a pick and roll heavy offense. And this is a time where I'm actually not upset. The fact that they might put Jokic potentially in 50 screen and rolls. Mm hmm
2: right, with AD coming up to set the screen. Jokic is a better pick and roll defender than, like we were so so reductive in how we talk about guys, and he's very smart, has great hands, he reads the game as a passer, right, he's got defensive assets, right, but ultimately if you get him in defending the rim, right, like they can keep you out of the paint, they're pretty good at that. But once you get there, they have a hard time defending it. Yeah. And so one of the things that I'm looking
4: forward to potentially is this idea of can the Lakers run actions to get Gordon off of LeBron and then after that move into an action where it's a LeBron and AD ball screen? Because one of the things that LeBron has done against Jokic repeatedly over their years of competing, especially when LeBron has been on the Lakers, is that Jokic loves to play it at the level of the ball but that is not the coverage against LeBron. If you play at the level of the ball against LeBron, LeBron is gonna drive by you. Yes. So they want LeBron to shoot jumpers. So when LeBron comes off screen and roll with AD, he's gonna see daylight and he's going to take it to Jokic, but that's a harder play to execute when Gordon is the guy that's fighting over screens or going under potentially, because Gordon is going to meet LeBron, right? And so this is the chess match. This is the cat and mouse game that I'm super interested in, because if LeBron can turn the corner against Jokic in a drop, he is going to get to the basket and he is going mm-hmm. to try to finish. And it's going to be AD rolling down hill potentially to clean up on the offensive glass. And that's an action where I think the Lakers can have
2: some play here. With kickouts to Austin and D'Lo. And so, right, like that's, every piece fits in the whole sequence. And so that I think is a a great end of game option, and is something that will attack throughout different portions of the game. But I do think that that constant pick and roll attack from different places attacking the same people over and over again, I think that that has a series long benefit as well. I wanted to switch gears really quick and talk about defending Jamal Murray. I think that's going to be one of the storylines in the series. He's a really good player that again, and All of the dumb narratives that can come with NBA coverage is like, oh, he was only good because it was the bubble. That's nonsense. He's a really good on and off ball player and scorer, really dynamic guy. This is part of why I like starting Dennis as well. I do think, agree with your point from last pod, D, about how Vando can have some value on Murray. I ultimately think Dennis is probably our best defender on him in terms of chasing him around. Also, KCP, you got to chase around in a way that Austin is good at tracking those guys and chasing them off of screens in ways that Dilo can kind of get lost, right? And so anyway, I'd love to hear both of your guys' thoughts on defending Jamal Murray specifically, because he's the other aspect of the Nuggets that can really attack the Lakers.
3: Murray's in a really nice rhythm right now. Uh, he shot 40% from three so far this playoffs on a on a big diet, 7.4 attempts. Uh, now, I guess it's not as big as it would have been a couple of years ago, but still, still a pretty healthy sample size to be shooting 40%. Um, He's a great free throw shooter. He doesn't get there like a ton, but four attempts per game, you know, is is decent. Uh, And like, he doesn't, a lot of his, a lot of his buckets come as a, as a jump shooter, but he will at times get all the way to the rim. So like he, he's definitely a really elite offensive player. I don't think he's quite an all-star. I think he's like maybe in the East in a given year, but he's never quite been up to that caliber. And I think that the Lakers having just... Basically, uh, devoted a whole game plan to Steph Curry. You know, that's going to make things in that context because he's not Steph Curry, but he is somebody that you can use some of the same tactics against.
4: For me, talking about Murray, I think we need to involve Jokic again here because part of Murray's success is the fact that he's, him and Jokic have such a great chemistry as a two man pairing Mm -hmm. and their ability to play off of each other is so important to their success. They have great chemistry and Murray and Jokic they are like Steph and Draymond in their own way Murray's not as good as Steph he's not the shooter that that he is but the way that he moves and the the points on the court and the places on the court that he can get to Jokic is never afraid to throw a pass that will get him the ball in in those spots and so for me Pete it's that idea of of incorporating what you know Jokic is going to do in order to help get Murray going like it's like when a kid is climbing over the fence right it's just like oh you see him struggling and then some guy does hey I'll give you a boost and then you're up over the fence very easily Murray's a very good player who can be elevated to like a star level player based off of his his chemistry with, with Jokic. And, and so I, I agree with you that defending him is super important, but a lot of, A lot of that also means always keeping an eye on like what Jokic is doing. Yes. Because I think Murray becomes a little bit, not easier to defend, but but yeah, it's just like you have less to account for when Jokic is out of the game. But when he's in the game, they're going to run a bunch of this two-man action that's going to compromise AD a little bit. It's going to compromise whoever is on Murray a little bit. And there's just that extra layer of processing that you have to have and- I feel like that's a
2: problem for, for the Lakers. There's, there's no way around it. It, Absolutely. Absolutely. And the type of actions that you're talking about are Jokic having the ball pretty far away from the basket, the top of the key specifically. Remember what a storyline in the Golden State series that pulling AD out of the paint versus keeping him in the paint was. And one way that Denver can do that is run stuff through Jokic at the top of the key. You suddenly have AD outside of the paint. Now, this is part of why I think LeBron is a significant figure in this series. When LeBron really locks in, I've always loved how he defends Jokic. And both LeBron and AD can attack Jokic as a ball handler in ways that very few of the players who'd normally defend Jokic can, right? So, like, DeAndre Ayton is not a perimeter defender and is not going to, like, Strip him of the ball on the perimeter, right? Like, Jokic is so elite at these things that the guy across across from him did not grow up guarding guys like him. Anthony Davis can disrupt your handle. He can get deflections. LeBron can hold his ground – on a dribble drive and cut off Jokic and make him turn four or five times, which he'll still do and will still you know need help, right? But in terms of the types of defensive assets you can assign to Jokic, and in that interplay between him and Murray, I think Jokic is kind of the quarterback where if you can put pressure on his handle as a passer, or as a dribbler, it makes those reads to Murray less effortless as uh, compared yeah. to when DeAndre Ayton has to be playing a step back off him. Oh, sure. I also think, though, that one of the things that this is,
4: again, like the cat and mouse game that I'm super interested in seeing how it plays out, like because much like with Draymond, Jokic is going to play high. They are going to want to bring AD out, but a lot of the passing that Jokic does is to guys who are cutting towards the basket in which you want AD there as a deterrent from getting those shots. Right. And so do you tell AD to like play high and pressure the ball and make it so that these passing reads aren't, aren't as easy when Jokic is, he's playing water polo out there. He will fend you off yeah. with his off arm and just hold <laughs> the ball up high. a great high. comparison. Yes. And, and he'll just drop these little bounce passes to guys who are cutting. One of the reasons why I, while I understand what you're saying about like defending putting Michael Porter Jr. in a position where he has to defend ball screens, potentially mm-hmm. putting D'Lo in a position where he's got to track Michael Porter Jr. off of the ball For sure. against cuts. Don't you think that they're also going to put M- MPJ in screening actions where he's setting and split cut actions where he's the one setting screens and then cutting and Jokic is up high. And then if AD is away from the yeah. basket and he and Porter Jr. is going to look like one of those six, five wide receivers Mm -hmm. against uh, one of those five, nine defensive backs where it's just like, look, like he's going to make these catches high and just finish
2: over the top, Mm -hmm. especially if there's no big guy defending on the back line. So can we keep Anthony Davis in the paint when Jokic is doing stuff at the top of the key? That's that's the eternal question of this series Mm -hmm. that I think the
4: the answer to that if it skews towards no, right, then it's like the Lakers are going to have a harder time
2: defending. Like, they just are. But that's why I think LeBron defensively is super important in this series, is precisely that right there, is because LeBron can move his feet with Jokic, right? Which is unusual for the types of players that Jokic normally would attack in that situation in a different way that AD is in that LeBron can beat him to his spot, but also not get mowed over in the process. Cause that's basically what Jokic does is he'll dribble one way, you cut him off that way. Then he spins back the other way and then he cut him off the yes. other way. And then all of a sudden he does that a couple of times and he's like right underneath the rim. And so now if that's the case and LeBron's up there and AD's back there, I'm actually okay with that. I think there's a lot of arms and bodies sure. around Jokic that are going to make that really difficult. But that precisely right there is why I think LeBron is so important. Well, totally. Also, too, it's just like the ability for LeBron
4: and, and AD to sort of switch defensive ma- matchups at times is is mm-hmm. going to be pivotal to, to the Lakers' success. Giving LeBron a steady diet of having to defend Jokic is not my idea of a good time for LeBron James this series. Exactly. And so I'm not saying that you're suggesting that. I'm just... We want to point out the obvious here and make sure that we're not just like, oh, here's the good side yeah. of this without talking no, about LeBron any just of the downsides Jokic for
2: seven games. Right. Yeah, that's gonna yeah. No, no. But we'll see how that it's, goes, it's, right? it's a card that they have available to play.
4: Yes, they do. Also, one of the reasons why LeBron's defense is going to be important is because Gordon is also a great cutter, mm-hmm. but he's also not necessarily the shooter that the Lakers are going to make him hit jumpers basically is like the most direct way to put it. So is that the way to keep
2: AD in the paint then is AD guards, Gordon, LeBron guards Jokic. I don't think so for like, as
4: like primary defensive assignments. Mm -hmm. I think that LeBron has proven as well, that when you give him free safety roaming abilities, the, the question I have is if Gordon hits one or two early ones, What does that impact your strategy Mm -hmm. or not? Now the Lakers have traditionally been a team that is willing to give up three pointers to non shooters. The idea of leaving him alone is tricky to me Mm -hmm. because so he's shooting 42.9% on threes. uh, Well, that's what he shot against the Suns, Mm -hmm. Right. But I think he shot like 12 of them on 2.3 attempts a game. Right. Um, and against the Wolves, it was thirty-eight point five on two point four attempts a game. The Lakers would love to see that number go up Double. and sl- make him take right, four or five like, games. Let's yep. see if you like. Can you hit thirty-nine percent on five attempts a game? Whether or not they can actually do that remains like remains to be seen. But I think that that will be a part of of the Lakers' defensive strategy. I agree. Is like, look, we want we want our second big around the basket, or we want a big around the basket, and. If it's LeBron, good. If it's AD, great, right? But I don't think putting anyone on Jokic for longer than like little bursts of time is the best strategy for for the Lakers. Although I do think an engaged LeBron, particularly on switches, if they run inverted screens or anything like that, you may see them. And this is what they'll do like late in games at times is like put LeBron on Murray. And then when they they switch it. Yep. They just switch it. now it's AD on Murray and LeBron on Jokic. And yes. And like, we'll live with the results. Our best two against your best two. The Lakers did that some against the Warriors as well. They put LeBron on Steph in, I think at the end of game four, and they were just like, we're just switching everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what Denver does with Gordon
2: with ball screens, by the way. He'll start on the, uh, on the big guy a lot and we'll just switch that. And so that, that, that right there is going to be a big part of the series. Yeah.
4: So there are so many moving parts to this series, man. And like, these are two really good basketball teams. The Lakers have sort of proven that right where they were not considered that two months ago, which is fine, which is fine. Like, look, we in a lot. And, and I I know that that I do, that there's a certain amount of looks like I want you to I want people to know this team as well as we think that. We know this team.
2: No, I don't expect right? that. Like, this, team is, every- this team is my entire life. Like It's my job. and I, I don't expect yes. that. I just like – there are certain things that I don't like, expect it. it I'm saying ta- I it, want – It doesn't require a massive level of paying attention to be like, oh my god, Anthony Davis is incredible on defense. You sure. know what I mean? Yes. Like – Yes. No, I don't expect like things thorough that- knowledge from, from everyone. There's just certain things that's like, come on. The Lakers
4: now have shown enough
3: mm-hmm.
4: to be like they can win this series and they can – potentially win the finals even, right? It's not going to be easy. Denver is the best team that the Lakers have faced. Mm-hmm. And in theory, if the Lakers advance, it could even be the best team that they ha- that they will face. Who knows? Denver is going to pose a bunch of very specific problems. I think the Lakers have some answers to those, but not all the answers. Yep. And when you don't necessarily have all of the answers, Pete, you have to make the other team ask the right questions For you, So that it just seems like you have all of the answers, right? And that's where coaching comes into play. We didn't get a lot into Mike Malone versus versus Darvin Ham here, but I'm sure we will get into that over the course of the series because those are who has the most adjustments, who can tweak things more towards their team's favor. That's such
2: a big part of playoff basketball. Going to be a fun series. We've got a game one tonight. We will be back either tonight or tomorrow uh, to talk about how it went. But until then... You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Danger's got it in low to
4: McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front. Broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it.
2: Magic fires.
1: Again, and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to winner. winner. It's on the way. Right. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddy pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, the score. miss it! Unbelievable. It's over. It's over. It's over.
0: And shot popping out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant,
1: yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the Raptors. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place.